Hello my friend, I'm Avi Caparas, host of The Decisive Life and founder of Ethics for Work and Life. And I'm honored to be your decision coach today to help you become a better person by making better decisions every day. I believe that we arrive at crossroads, we face dilemmas, we get at decision moments for a reason, and it is up to us to face them with serenity and courage and most of all, gratitude. We have as our topic today, how to adapt to change. You know, in these times of constant change and uncertainty, really, how do you stay relevant? And of course, not everyone gets to be successful because adapting to change means a certain mindset, a certain set of attitudes. And we are very lucky that tonight we have as our guest, Arlene Gutera. Arlene has been in many changes throughout her career. She has gone from being a pediatrician and she has studied to become a nurse. Then she, in healthcare management, has advanced to case management. And recently, the last health position is being the director of case management in Justin Willis Hospital in the U.S. And for the past five years, she has also been in various leadership positions. So you have someone here who's been a doctor, a nurse, a case manager, and a leader. Really, so many changes happening in healthcare management. And at the same time, she has also been managing in different cultures. She's a Filipina based in the U.S. And for seven years, she was also based in Saudi Arabia. Really a prestigious guest who can share with us all of her experiences, her expertise in adapting to change. So let us now welcome Arlene Gotera. Hi, Arlene. Hi, good evening. Thank you for the very kind introduction. You know, Arlene and I have been friends since probably 2013, and we met only once in Manila. It's really exciting to have her here and have some updates from her during this live stream. So let us begin with my first question. How was that change from being a doctor to a nurse? Oh, it took a lot of courage and humility and a lot of analysis. You know, you have to adapt to what circumstances you have at the moment. When I finished residency training in 1997, the economy began to really slump. My husband worked in the stock market side, so we really took a hit. It was a very, I would say it it wasn't the best years for the Philippines, economy and security-wise. There were a lot of kidnappings. There were things happening. My friend who was a physician also at that time almost got kidnapped and the physician of the clinic next to him got kidnapped. And we had friends who had been held up, you know, randomly and shot at just traffic lights. So there was too much happening at that time. And I had kids already. I mean, with six kids, Maybe with a smaller family, it would have been okay. But my family was growing faster than our finances, I have to be honest. So I said, what can I do, you know? And then one day, one of my friends who actually shared the clinic with me said, I said, where are you going? And she said, I'm going to this and this university because I'm going to enroll in nursing. I said, what? What's that? They have this program for physicians to become nurses. But the class is already full, she said. So I said, okay, I'd like to find out more about it because I'm open to any options. I'm searching. I'm doing my own analysis. So I went with her 
And when we were there, somebody backed out. So there was one slot open. So I called my husband and said, you think this is a good idea? I've been thinking about it. And I said, it can do no harm. So I enrolled. I think it was a miracle because I said, this might be a sign of all days that I would have bumped into her. That was the day and there wasn't any opening and all of a sudden there's a slot. I said, I've been praying about answers because anytime I have to to make a big change, I have to sit down, bring it into prayer, think about it, and then do a strength, weakness, opportunity, threat analysis. So at that time, I said, this is an opportunity. This door is not going to be opened forever. I have to jump the gun while it, I mean, you know, just take the opportunity while it's there. If it's not, I can back out. So fortunately, it worked out. That was the year I left the Philippines was 2006. So when you left the Philippines, you, you already finished nursing before you left in 2006? Yes, I finished nursing. I did my research. I got in touch with an agency. And through it all, I had my goals in mind. So even when talking to the agency, I knew where I wanted to go, which state, what kind of working situations I'm amenable to. But like I said, it was the first time for me to take, aside from getting married, this is the next big step. It's like, it's a total change. It's like a turnaround. So, but I looked at it as a step back to leap forward. Sometimes you really have to step back to leap forward. So at that time, I thought I might be stepping back. I'm a doctor. Now I'm becoming a nurse. Where am I going to? So I didn't have the framework. So that was the hardest change, I think, because the changes after that, since I have the formula already on what to do when these things happen, then it's smoother. It's not easy, but it's smoother. It was the biggest deal because I was used to giving orders and now I'm taking orders. When I feel like this order doesn't seem right, (laughs) you really have to hold back. You know, you have a goal in mind. You have to stick to that plan and don't expect people to adjust to you. You have to adjust to the situation. Yeah. But that, uh, as you said, that's really like, already the biggest change because it's like after getting married, starting a family, this is really the biggest change in your life? Yes, because I was moving, changing careers and changing countries. That's it. You changed country. You went to the U.S., no? Bringing six children already? Yes, I had six children already at that time in tow. So it was a big decision. We did research, of course, before we did that, which state, cost of living, Taking care of six children, you had relatives in the U.S. to help you out? No, but my mother-in-law was with us, so she helped us with the kids. It was hard because I worked night shift by then. I was the only one working at that time. My husband, it took six months for my husband to find a job, so I worked night shift and I worked overtime. So once you have that goal in mind, that's the thing about change. You have to believe that you need to make that change. Why? What is your mission? What is your purpose of making that change? And all your decisions after that will be based on that one. And every time you you get confused, you have to look back at why. Why am I making this change? Do I need to reassess my situation? 
you mentioned a formula. So aside from, I suppose, having that goal in mind, can you mention the other things in that formula for that shift that you did? Yeah, the pre-work, the pre-work for the change. It's like you can apply the principles of change management like we do in business, right? You have to plan for the change. You have to do your assessment first. And then from that assessment, you say, oh, I need to do this. Now you have your mission, your purpose. If after getting your purpose, then you look at the means on how to get to that. And now when you've weighed the pros and cons and decided on what you want to do, then you have to go through the stages of change management, so to speak. You have to unfreeze. That means you have to communicate to everybody what change is going to be done. So that involves your friends, your family, employers, and you set whatever needs to be ready before you make the move. And then you make the move and then you adjust to whatever, especially if it's an unknown situation, you have to keep your eyes open for opportunities and threats and see how can I use my strengths to pursue that opportunity and how do I minimize the threats? And then while you are at this moving stage, you're constantly looking around and reassessing and seeing is this working or not? And then after that, if you find what's working for you, then you stick to that plan and then you freeze it. That's the third step of change management is you freeze whatever is working. And then even after you freeze, of course, if circumstances will change, you have to learn how to readjust when circumstances change. But as long as you know, like I said, if you know what your goal is, then even if it changes, you will just change how you approach things and then get to the same goal. But the goals keep changing, right? Since in your life story right now, you are in the States, settling down, practicing as a nurse. And then afterwards, you went to Saudi. So how do you face that being open to new changes, setting new goals in your life? You have to let go of titles. You have to accept that any profession, as long as a decent and honorable profession, is worth doing. Don't get stuck to all the titles. It's like, oh, I'm a doctor. I shouldn't be doing this or that. Then you're being a slave to your title. We have respect from the janitor to the CEO. Each person has its own dignity. If you don't believe that every person has the same dignity, whatever your title is, then you will have a hard time changing from one title to the next from one role to another because you're stuck with that role and you have to be ready to get out of your comfort zone this is why people are resistant to change it's because it's going to take them out of their comfort zone so you have to be ready to get out of your comfort zone and how do you do that little things of every day if you know how to deny yourself of little things every day then it builds up that stamina that, you know, a time will come, circumstances will change, and not everything will be in your favor. How do you face that if you have not built that stamina of taking things that you don't like? So little sacrifices of each day so you don't get blasted when something bad happens. It's like you built up the muscle to face that. And um, what else? 
somehow when you're saying really denying oneself, you seem like a superwoman. And it can overwhelm people. Wow, really? You have to do everything. Can you tell us how did you rest during those difficult times of adjusting in the U.S., adjusting to being a nurse? How did you rest? I spent time each day to sit down and meditate. A little time with just silence and thinking about things that you have to do. It's hard not to worry because I'm a worrier too, because I want to plan ahead. I'm a type A personality. I have to admit things have to be planned. Things has to be in place, but that doesn't always happen. So you have to set time away from everything every day, even just a few minutes. Be it you want to pray, you want to meditate, do something, be alone, go outside take a walk. It's a breather, whatever makes you breathe. And then you look back at things objectively, because sometimes when we put emotions in it, we have to learn to separate the emotion. Once the emotion is out of the picture, you can think of it more objectively. It's a hard thing to do. I have a hard time taking emotion out of things. I think my husband's better at that than me, but it is a struggle And if you have that mindset that this is your goal, always look at your purpose. If you have a purpose everywhere you move, you will be motivated. Like when I moved to Saudi Arabia and I'm like, oh, I can't even drive here. At that time, now women can drive there. But at that time, I'm so used to just jumping in the car, go wherever I want. Don't have to wait for anything. Now I'm like, okay, I have to call a cab or wait for my husband. So it's a totally different culture. I mean, moving from the Philippines to the U.S., it's more or less similar. I mean, there are minor differences, but because the Philippines is, you know, practically education and everything else, we go go after what's in the U.S. It's similar. Tell us a little bit about that change that you did from the U.S., you moved to Saudi Arabia. What were your considerations? Economics, because my husband had a hard time. I mean, in the Philippines, he was like at the peak of his career, getting interviews for news channels for his opinion on stocks. He was doing research for the stock market. And then coming here, it's hard for people in finance when you don't have the network and you were not educated here. So it would be harder for him to find a career path That's his level as well. So he got the opportunity to work in Saudi Arabia, and it was economically a lot more attractive than the package that he was getting here. And at that time, there was a recession in the U.S. too. So he was the last in, first out kind of thing. And then this opportunity with all, I mean, it was an advancement in career. It was a big difference in pace. And the opportunities for him was very good. And it's, uh, you know, if he's going there, we tried it out. For two years, he was on bachelor status. That means he was going back and forth maybe three times, four times a year to the U.S. And I go there maybe once a year. We tried it for two years. This is not going to work for the family. It's a temporary solution just to get things ready. So we moved to Saudi Arabia. You were not prepared for your career to move to Saudi. It really was for your husband's career. You have to work as a team when you're married. When you're single, you go do whatever you want. But 
when you're married, you work as a team. Now I'm not going to be working. I mean, I can work as a physician there, but I have to go back to the Philippines for a year to have my experience updated. I said, I can't do that really because I have to stay in Saudi Arabia six months in a year for family status to get the benefits for the family with my husband's job. I said, okay, we weighed everything. It was still a plus to go there. So we all went, kids uh, in tow. I wasn't working for, I think, three years. I didn't work full time. I was working part time, going back and forth, the US and Saudi Arabia, just to keep my license up and my experience up. But it was really the culture there that was a sort of a shock because at that time it was totally different. You really feel like you're not part of that country. But as years go by with the progression of things in Saudi Arabia, I actually miss my friends from there, the relationships I developed. At first, I was very negative. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't all a pleasant experience at the start, but I said it needs to be done. So when you're in that situation, you know, in anything in life, there's a positive and a negative, pros and cons. Why focus on the negative, negative things? Focus on the positives because there are positives. The culture there is very family-oriented. When people need to get out of work for a family reason, even like a PTA, parent-teacher meeting for the kids, it's not a problem. It's like they force you. They even tell my husband, it's a parent meeting, you have to go. You don't need to be in the office kind of thing. The people there are warm. At first, I was saying, oh, people here are cold. They think all Filipinas are maids. Nothing bad about being a maid. It's just that they will cut you in line. That was my first exposure there. But as time went by and I knew more people and I kept my eyes open, I said, yeah, there's a lot of nice people here. And the people I've worked with are one of the nicest people too and the community spirit there. I've never had that community spirit anywhere else I've lived where you know your neighbors, your kids play together. We lived in an expat compound. The kids can go around. You feel safe. You don't feel scared like, oh, if they don't go home at this time, where are they? What happened? No, they go out with their friends. They ride their bikes. They play sports. And it's all contained in that community. Before, when I first came there, I felt like, I am trapped in this community. I can't go out. Then as I reached out, I think that's the key. You don't wait for people to reach out to you. You reach out to people. And then you find out, oh, they're just waiting for people to reach out to them as well. And before you know it, you have your own group. You know a lot of people. You have a lot of activities. And one thing I really cherish most, it gave me the chance to help less fortunate people while I was there because I had the time, I had the resources, I had a group of friends who were doing the same thing. Tell me more about that. How did you help less fortunate people? At that time, there were helpers who are mistreated by, don't get me wrong, not all employers there for the helpers are bad. A lot of them are good, but the thing is the bad ones are the ones that get to the tabloids. Those people, we hooked up with the embassy, the Philippine embassy representative. So we gather stuff for them. If there's people who need a safe place and they need supplies, we give them supplies. 
and we try to raise funds if they need a plane ticket home. We get them a plane ticket home. And during the COVID, I would say it wasn't the best because some of the laborers, they didn't get their pay, so they needed food. Some of them were thrown out of their employers because they tested positive for COVID. So we had to gather funds to buy food for them and give it to them like on a regular basis when they didn't get their pay. Is that more of informal organization of friends? Yes, it's an informal organization of friends, just friends helping out friends. I just thought, you know, since I'm going to interview next week, my friend who used to be the consul general in New York, I was thinking, wow, you are doing something that somehow some consuls are doing for the Filipinos in other countries. I was thinking you could be after retirement, <laughs> really someone who could be helping But that's us. the thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was gloomy at first. All my friends are there. So now I have to make new friends. And then, but that's what I mean by you have to step back and look at the situation and look at your opportunities and threats. And I said, there's a very big opportunity to help. I mean, I was in the health field because I wanted to help people. So I said, I may not be working now in the health field, but I am still fulfilling my purpose. I can still help. I'm not useless. So always find that mission moment. Yeah, and it has never changed for you, really. It's really giving yourself as a mother, as a, a neighbor, as a daughter of God. When did you start working full-time in Saudi? The first six months of adjustment was the toughest because I didn't know anybody there and I wasn't working, so there was no connection. And then I had to build a network. Going back and forth to the U.S. was three years until I got a full-time job in Saudi Arabia in 2015. Being an expat wife, it's hard to get a work visa because technically I'm a dependent and it goes to a separate bucket of work visas. It's easier for somebody there to be hired from outside than be hired as a dependent of my husband. So we can't work for the same company. And then the only time I got a break was the hospital there became a joint venture with the hospital here in the U.S. So that opened up visas. So I was able to work. But I was doing volunteer work at that hospital prior to that. So any change, you have to plan ahead. What do you need to do? What can you do ahead? Because you can't always do things ahead, but you have to look for what can I do to get to this goal? And then afterwards, you specialized in case management, right? I was in case management here in the U.S. So when I moved to Saudi Arabia, case management was just starting there. So I took it as an opportunity. I said, I have experience to share that nobody else had. And I was certified and I was the only one certified. So it gave me a chance to train people to share what I know and to give them an overview of what it should be and then initiate. If I look at it now, I've been like a change agent everywhere I go. Looks like it. Yeah, it's like, okay, what can I do? And my mindset is like that. Every time I'm in a new place, it's like, okay, this looks good. I absorb what's there. I'm not there to change everything, but what can I do to make things better? My goal is always to leave things better than how I found them. 
So objectively or subjectively, the feedback from the team is like, we've never had like this. I'm glad you came along. So that gives fulfillment. And it's like, you know, I don't have to be a doctor or whatever title. If you care about people and improving people and you get there, that's my reward. If somebody becomes better than I am, then that would be the most really of the fulfillment that I get from that work. I've trained one of my colleagues in Saudi Arabia on case management. He was the most negative person in that group. Anything you say, anything that's new, anything that deals with change, he didn't like. It's like you run against the wall every time that there's a change because it makes people unsettled when there's change. And that's a normal reaction. But as I broke the wall brick by brick, he's now leading what I left there. So that for me is the greatest reward of my work there. It's like, you know, these people are going to be better than me. I just need to train them the right way. Tell me more about breaking that wall with this very negative man. What did you do? You have to be your friend. You have to gain their trust first because in that culture, he's a man, I'm a woman. It's a woman telling him what to do. That's a first cultural wall right there. It's, it's hard for some people there to take orders from women. And two, I was the newest person in that group. And then I have all these ideas that, you know, it's like we've been doing this for two years now and it seems to be working. Why are you making changes? And you're only new. So that's the other wall. I learned a lesson there. You know, when you're new in a place, keep your mouth shut, let them talk, let them bring out their ideas. And then in the end, you bring yours. And that would be a better way to break a wall. Because if you come out with new ideas at the start, people will be shocked. Later, I learned, okay, it's part of change management. You don't shock the system with the changes. You have to initiate changes slowly. So I became his friend. I made sure that he knows that I'm there for him, that if he has questions, I'm just there to answer questions. I'm not there to force my opinion on him. And you have to care. And that relationship develops with time to show people that you care, not just because of the job, but because you care for them as a person. And once you are at that level, it's easier to bring in new ideas because now you have their trust. Without that trust, it's hard to initiate change. It must be very difficult because as you said, you're a type A personality. Yes, and they were very lax. It's like we work seven to four. Before seven, I'm there already. By seven, I'm starting to work. I don't dilly-dally around chit-chat and just work and then take a break and then work again and then I leave. If something's hanging and it's past four, I stay behind to make sure that thing for that day is done. I don't want it to be there tomorrow. And that in itself, the work ethic is different. Take a picture of me coming from the U.S. where everything is, okay, do this, do that. Everything has to be fast. And then there, they're more laid back. I said, this is too laid back. And I was saying, there's something good too in being laid back. They probably live happier lives because they know how to step back. And one thing I admire about this very negative person He's Muslim. He never misses his prayer time. And he would take some other people from the hospital with him. We have a mosque in the hospital. And that discipline, I said, that's a positive thing. If he has that discipline with his prayer life, he can do, and he can do the same and be disciplined 
as long as you give him a purpose on why things should be done this way. And that worked because it's like, okay, at least he has that. I just have to redirect that drive because I already know he has good habits. He just doesn't believe that this thing has to be done. That's why he's not working on it. It's more intellectually. He really has to understand case management, but he has personal discipline, personal piety. He's a good person. He's a good person. He was a very good person. That's why I was wondering, why is he very negative? So I had to really analyze and step back and said, you know what? Maybe I'm doing changes too fast. I have to start with myself and see what can I do? I am the new person there. I'm not there to dictate things. The approach has to change. And I realized, okay, I made a mistake in my approach. I will approach it this other way. So it's, it's a trial and error because it's a totally different culture that I've never dealt with. It's like even talking to men, looking eye to eye when I talk to patients, relatives, I can sense that they're uncomfortable. Sometimes they get shocked because it's like, who's this Filipina? Filipina is usually like subservient. And they're usually just follow orders and they're it's like, and then here comes me and they're like, Shock. it's like, I don't take orders. It's like, I, I just don't take orders and I can't just keep quiet. You know, if I have to talk to you. I have to look in your eye because that's how I was taught to talk. It was funny at the same time. And then I didn't realize it until I really reflected on why did he seem shocked? And I have to look back. This is not their culture. And, you know, so I said, okay, <laughs> next time I'll be more, I mean, gentler. And if I see they're uncomfortable, I have to do this. And like I said, you're in a new place. This is their culture. You're not there to change their country. You have to respect their beliefs and their culture so that they respect yours. Yeah, but it seems to me that from the time that you became a nurse, you seem like you should really be a follower. I mean, you should not be as a doctor because now you're a nurse. And then this time in another country, you should not appear like you're much better than the men. It's quite tough for me. Having that career history must have been tough. You have to have an open mind. It was tough. I wouldn't say it's easy. But you have to have an open mind and say, oh, what, what am I really here for? Am I just stuck with my title? Am, am I still pursuing this? Because when I moved there, I said I'll be a housewife. You know, that was the toughest one too. It's like, I've never been a full-time housewife ever since I had kids. This is the first time I'm going to be a full-time housewife. And at first I was like, oh no, I'm a housewife. I'm just going to be one of those ladies in those reality shows who just gossip all day and... And I said, no, I have to take hold. There's good thing I've attended some of our sessions in the Philippines on how great it is to be a housewife, how noble it is to be. And it is, I have to attest that it's one of the hardest hats that I've worn. I'd rather be working than be a housewife full time. It's so much harder than if you don't have a system in place you'll just get lost in all the chores, all the things that you see. When you're working, you don't see as much <laughs> because you go out half of the day and then you come back. And then if you're in the home the full time, you see every little things and you want to <laughs> fix every little detail. I have to hold my hand and stop my hand from saying, okay, you need to stop because now if your work is at home, there's no end to it. So you have to put your own 
limits to your schedule and give yourself a break time too. People get break times in the office. You should do it at home or else you go crazy. That was something too. So there was a lot of things and a lot of it. You have to have faith that whatever happens, somebody up there, a supreme being has your back or otherwise you'll be afraid to move. And when you're afraid to move and you're afraid to fail, you get nowhere. It's better if you fail. That's fine. You just get up. But in not to move, for me, that would be a failure not to move and just sit there and watch things happen. Well, actually, I cannot imagine you being a type A personality, not, not moving at all. Really, somehow the personality, the temperament really has helped you through all of these tough changes in your life. Yeah. And of course, as you said, faith in God and all of those lessons that you have been imparting to us. One of the viewers, Josephine, saying that this is really very educational. But can you also tell us a little bit about case management very briefly? Case management is a field in nursing that specializes in care coordination transitions. There's four aspects to it. You do care coordination. That means you deal with the transition of the patient through the whole continuum of care from inpatient to outpatient to post-acute services like home health, nursing homes, assisted living, long-term care. You do your assessment. You do your care planning. You talk with the team to make up a plan for the patient. So it's utilization management, utilization review, care coordination, and discharge planning. With utilization review, it's a lot of making sure that the patients, those heads in those beds in the hospital should be there. Otherwise, they should be transitioned to a lower level of care. So it's good for the patient because you place them where they should be. Should they be in the hospital? Should they be at home with home health? The hospital is not the best place for the patient. You can get hospital-acquired infections the longer you stay there, and it's high cost. The highest cost in healthcare is the inpatient, especially in the Philippines where most people pay out of pocket. They're all self-pay. It's nice to have somebody guide the patient and say, you don't have to be in the hospital for all these 14 days of antibiotics. Some of them you can do at home. So it saves them money. It saves the resources too, like hospital beds, especially with COVID, hospital beds are, it gets scarce. So you want to make sure the people who really need to be in the hospital are in the hospital and those who can be treated outside is treated outside. And then you juggle the quality and the cost and the benefit to the patient all in all. So in a nutshell, it's being a patient advocate. Very good. It would seem also to me like always a step back because somehow the patient can be seen by several doctors who's getting the entire perspective for the sake of the patient. Yes. And the case manager is the one who brings everybody together, your physicians, all your physicians, your specialists, your physical therapists, if you need one, your dietitian, everybody that's involved in the care of the patient, the case manager should be able to coordinate all of them so that there's one plan. Because sometimes what happens is this physician has a plan, the specialist has a plan, the subspecialist has a plan. Somebody has to make sure everything is on the same page so that the patient can progress more efficiently and safely to home. And now you're back in the U.S., but still with the same specialization? 
Yes, but now from a leadership perspective. How do you see your career from Kia? Are there more changes, major changes coming? I'm always open to changes. And now I'm like, you know, being at the forefront, I've been at the bedside. I've been a physician, a nurse at the bedside. At a certain point, you realize you can't change anything by being at the bedside. You have to be, and this is what drove me to take my master's, my MBA and master's in healthcare management, is that if I were to initiate change and make things better, I have to be part of the decision makers. And it's going to be tough because I'm like, just just leave me what I need to do and I'll finish it. Being in management is totally different. It's not just work. You have to look beyond the person doing the work, how it's affecting their family life, their development. If there's one thing that irks me is that when leaders don't develop their people so that they can be better and move up to in the ladder or be rewarded financially or at least have a plan for each employee to help themselves develop. Sometimes they don't even see the opportunity unless you guide them and bring them to it. And that's one of the biggest responsibilities, I think, of being in leadership and in management is now you don't have to just worry about yourself. You have to worry about your people. Are they on track on their personal development and not just meeting your metrics? Because at the end of the day, they're people and they have families and they have friends. They have a life to live to. So you're getting towards career development in leadership. I mean, the leadership responsibility to develop the careers of people under them. You can also think of succession planning, really very tough world again in terms of leadership. And so we're getting nearer the end of time and you have shared so much of your wisdom, but still I would really ask you to leave us with three major tips on how to adapt to change. This might sound like cliche, but The first one is be positive. There's pros and cons in anything. You have to focus on the positive and then see how you can mitigate the negatives. You have to be objective. You have to have a plan in place and you have to look at that. What is your mission? You need to have that in your head so that if anything changes, you stick by that. That's your compass. And be ready to come out of your comfort zone. No change is successful without sacrifices. Third one is be humble to accept that not everything is in your control. You don't know everything and you don't know everything that's going to happen. And you should be open to suggestions and hear what other people have to say. Keep an open mind. But in all things, be humble because you will make mistakes. And if you can't take mistakes, you're not going to move. That's really great. Thank you very much, Eileen. It's a pleasure. Okay, my friend, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Decisive Life. If you liked it, take a screenshot of this podcast, share it, and the link to this episode to three of your friends today. Post it in social media and use the hashtag TheDecisiveLife. Until the next episode, my friend, be good.